Welcome to another Give to Local podcast. Uh, we've had some fairly high-profile guests on the podcast so far. Uh, we've said hello to Mark Clattenberg, the referee, uh, Gabby Logan not too recently, and today we're setting the bar high again. Manchester United and England international Lucy Staniforth. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's an absolute pleasure. Um, first and foremost, I suppose, COVID and, and being a professional footballer, how have those two gone Hand in hand on a, a pretty strange 12 months. Yeah, I mean, strange to say the least, but I think, I guess, credit to the club that I'm at at the moment. They've really put things in place and made sure that um, everyone is as safe as possible. I think there was one point, though, where we were, as a team, chomping at the bit to get out when the restrictions had eased for, every, for the gen pop, and we still had to act as if um, COVID was at its utmost peak so that was a hard time for us to have I guess no social but in terms of the football side of things it's been pretty much business as usual and like I say I think we're just really lucky that we're at such a good club. I suppose you'll have looked on along with everybody else at what's gone on in the in the last 12 months and I think one thing that suffered quite a lot is sport and particularly a lack of crowds how strange has that been? Yeah, do you know what? I, I guess as my, my first year of playing for United and having heard about uh, the crowds that they get and the intensity that the fans support, I've really, really missed having that experience. I think I've sort of seen it from afar through social media, but obviously there's nothing quite like turning up on a game day and seeing all the fans um, and the young girls and boys in the crowd and stuff. So it's been weird. Obviously, you can hear the echo around the stadium. You can't quite get away with saying some of the things that maybe you would say when the stadium is <laughs> loud. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to obviously meeting them all in the in the near future. Hopefully, not that you'd say anything that you wouldn't want the crowd to hear. In of that case, no, not, I know, not. I know. Um, <laughs> you you come from quite a big footballing family. Were you surrounded by football as young as you can remember? Yeah, I didn't really have a choice, to be honest. Um, obviously, dad played and two older brothers played to different levels. But um, I think that there was a big age gap, which I think meant that when they like when they had me when I was younger, I think they were like, right, this is our chance to really mould a professional footballer here, <laughs> even though that wasn't a thing at the time. Um, but yeah, I, was, I always remember... Um, my daddy worked for a bit at Leeds United as a youth team coach, and I always remember like popping down there. And um, obviously, yeah, just I just couldn't really get away from it. So it's a good good job. It's not like chess or something. <laughs> something you're not, exciting. You're not a big fan of chess, then I take it. <laughs> I just, I just like excitement, and um, yeah, I think obviously football epitomizes that. I think it's um, such a well loved sport, and I'm, I'm really grateful that. I've ended up having a career in it. Can you remember the moment you fell in love with football? What a difficult question. Um, I think it was almost instant. As soon as I was at um, like primary school, I had a teacher um, who came in and he was like one of the cool young teachers that everyone really liked. And just so happens that he knew my dad and he loved football and he started a girls team. Um, and I think when I think back about that time it was almost like innate my um, my passion for the sport because I remember I think I was in about year two or year three and I was bossing everyone around on the pitch as if I'd played for years and I knew everything um, 
so I would guess that was probably the time where it really clicked and um, yeah pretty young I suppose but um, like I say I'd just been brought up around it and at that time at that particular moment because I know we've come a long way with a women's game which is absolutely fantastic did you find it a little bit frustrating at times kind of for everybody to take you as seriously as you took yourself do you know what I, I especially being that young I don't think you really have a perception of um even just like boys and girls I mean you hate the boys when you're a young girl um, and I had more ammunition to go and kick them when I played against them on the weekend and stuff. So um, I think for me, it was just uh, there was no sort of stereotypes or anything. They accepted me on the team, the boys, and um, it was just about me going and playing. But um, I, I think I've just been lucky to be in a, a really inclusive environment and then obviously um, finding teams up north where, where I played. And I think... Um, yeah, I've just been been quite lucky that I've not had to face the, those sort of doubts and questions. Fast forward a little bit, 16-year-old, you make your debut for Sunderland. They win the league that year uh, and I think you got to the FA Cup final as well. That, that's some debut season, by the way. Do you know what? It's, it's bizarre because I think about the era that we live in now where everyone can see everything, there's social media, I think. It's a shame that we we didn't really have that around that time because the achievement that we made uh, at Sunderland playing in the division below the top, uh, making it to the FA Cup final was just, it's almost unheard of now, I think. Obviously, the gulf between the two leagues is huge. So, um, yeah, when I think back to that team and playing in an FA Cup final at the age of 16, I really want to watch it back because I always think, I wonder what I was doing. Like, I had no knowledge of the game. It was just complete raw, like, ability at that point and I think I must have been flying around like headless chicken just like <laughs> but yeah an unbelievable experience and obviously it's uh, one that I'm really proud of and is there, is there no video footage of that game at all can you not find anything I have not seen anything I would love to try and like go back into the archives because it must have been on you know some of the like BBC or something when they used to show the the women's FA Cup final. There must be something somewhere, but I've I've literally not seen anything since I played in the game. I'm going to make it my mission to I'm going to speak to the the guys at Sunderland who I wanted to I know quite well. We are going to get your footage of that and get it to you so you can see it. <laughs> that's that's massive. That's got to happen. Um, I don't know whether that's a, a, a blessing or. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want. <laughs> Um, in terms of uh, obviously the, the game now, would you have would you have stayed at Sunderland? I know they were unsuccessful in their, their bid to get um, uh, WSL status at the time, and and that was obviously a, maybe a factor in you you moving on. Did you feel you probably had to at that point just to progress your own career? Yeah, I think I, I guess I didn't really understand like the future plans for the for the league and uh, what it really meant for Sunderland, but I think. I saw some of my um, teammates leave, like Lucy Bronze, Jordan Nobbs, and I thought, um, I don't know, it was weird. I, I got approached to join Lincoln and they were offering me money to play football and I was just like, what? I think um, I just, I, I couldn't quite believe it because previous to that we'd been fundraising and obviously doing all we could to keep Sunderland afloat at the time. Um, I do remember sitting in the meeting thinking, because they'd said that the money that we'd use from getting to the FA Cup final was enough to sustain us for the year following when we're in the top league. But uh, unfortunately, because we didn't make the FA Cup final for a second time running, it was going to be nigh on impossible for us to 
compete in that league. And I think, yeah, when 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 I was approached, I, I sort of just was like, I jumped at the bit. I couldn't believe it that I was going to earn money. And can you? I mean, obviously, going back to those days versus where we are right now, we're in a we're in a different stratosphere. Thankfully, that journey must have been a really pleasing one to have been part of because it's almost been a a watershed moment for the for the women's game, the progress it's made over the last ten years since you've been involved. Yeah, and even I think looking at the most recent few years, I think it's it's blown my mind almost the way that uh, the league's gone. Obviously. I'm sure Chelsea signed someone for a quarter of a million pounds and that's absolutely obscene really, isn't it? So I think when you sort of look back at those humble beginnings, it really uh, gives you, I don't know, a sense of like what true football's about. You're playing for the love of the game and you're, you're just enjoying it. And obviously now it's, it's yeah, it's grown so much and the, the league is extremely professional and the the standards are raised and it's really given us an appetite of what what professional football is all about and where it can go and it's it's really exciting to be time to be a part of football so spells at lincoln and then bristol and liverpool is it is it mm-hmm. fair to say there were tough times in terms of injuries with bristol and liverpool because you, you had a, an awful yeah. knee injury didn't you definitely i think but when i look back obviously what we were sort of given then in terms of physio and uh, how they looked at the physical side of things. Not that it was inevitable, but I think probably a lot of players around that era suffered uh, some serious injuries, and I was unfortunate to be one of them. Probably because, yeah, like I say, I don't, I don't think that we were as robust as we are now. But um, I still look back on those years really fondly. When we were at Bristol, we finished second in the league, qualified for the Champions League, and then I got the opportunity to go sign for Liverpool who were the reigning champions and that was a great experience to be a part of a really big club like that was sort of my first it was probably the turning point where football started to seem a lot more serious and um like a, a job almost and yeah I feel a bit sad about that situation because obviously I got injured when I was there and I couldn't really um give the club what I wanted to give them but it's just all part and parcel of football isn't it and with all these moves, have you have you moved with it in terms of geography and location? So you've kind of had to get get to, got used to a whole new culture. I mean, going from Birmingham then back to Liverpool and then Sunderland, it's just three completely different cities with different cultures. I know it's it's actually bizarre. I I kind of I feel a bit like indifferent about moving. I, I wish that I'd stayed at a long at a club for a longer period, but obviously for one reason or another, it's just not sort of worked out like that. But on the flip side of that, to live in Bristol, that was an amazing experience. I absolutely loved that city. Uh, Liverpool, the same. It was. Um, I didn't expect Liverpool to be as nice as it was, but um, that was. Yeah, it was a great time. And obviously, now living in Manchester, I feel like I'm really um, in a place where I want to be, and I feel really settled here. And that's obviously a really nice feeling do you think you benefited from giving not going directly from Liverpool to Manchester United would it have been a little bit of a frowned upon in some areas that I definitely definitely would have got some stick for that it was <laughs> nice to just factor in a move back to Sunderland and Birmingham in the meantime but um yeah I don't think that would have gone down too well would it? how nice was it coming back to Sunderland because I'm guessing they, they must hold a really special place in your heart it's, it's where all that serious football started and then you go back and you, you captain the club which must have been fantastic yeah I think um 
again, it's a little bit bittersweet. When I, when I first went back to Sunderland, we were fully integrated at the men's training ground. We were getting breakfast, lunch, you know, that that was real professional football. We felt almost equals to the men's team, um, which was a really um, pleasing experience as a former player that had returned to the club to see how much it progressed. And I think... Um, to then captain them, obviously extremely special. I know the previous captain, had, she'd been there for years and years. So it was quite a big decision for the manager at the time. And I was actually really shocked because there was a, a few of us in that team that were, I'd say, big leaders. But um, obviously she chose me and it was just a really good learning experience to know, um, I guess, what it takes to be a captain and how uh, to sort of hold yourself and uh, how to influence others and stuff. So that was, it was a really good time for me. So those days in year two and year three, bossing everybody about at school kind of came into its own, but all those years later. Little did I know that I, <laughs> I was a captain in the making, maybe. But yeah, I guess that's that's the that's me. That's the way I play, though. I'm, I'm all in. And I think, obviously, when, when you look at captains that I guess have led well, I think that's one trait that really stands them in good stead. Who do you look up to in football? From Let's talk about growing up. Who were your, who were your heroes? Who did you want to play like? Who did you want to be? And, and what about now? Well, I set my sights high. Um, Ronaldinho was probably, um, if not my, my favourite player growing up. Obviously, I, I think if you watched him, you, you could just tell that he loved the game. And I think that's just football in its most purest form is just enjoying the sport for what it is. Um, and then I went through a phase when I was younger where I used to, I, I was obsessed with Thierry Henry, uh, again, setting the, <laughs> setting the bar high. Um, but I also love people like Steven Gerrard, who were fantastic leaders. And being a Newcastle fan, I obviously loved Alan Shearer. Oh, you've let it go. I was just about to ask you who your, uh, your club was. Was that a little bit strange then, being a big Newcastle fan at Sunderland? But I would imagine you weren't the only one. No, I think uh, there was a couple of us, yeah. Um, we infiltrated the ranks, but um, unfortunately at the time, Newcastle's women's team just didn't um, give me that path into playing at the highest level in the northeast. And I think Sunderland was the team that, that gave me that. Um, but I, d- I did used to wear a Brazil shirt underneath my Sunderland shirt when I first went, <laughs> <laughs> just in, in honour of Ronaldinho, but also to, yeah, to just ease the blow a little bit. I mean, Ronaldinho at his time was just exceptional and part of a, a group, I think, that he, I mean, he'd probably still be playing today if he could. He was ridiculous, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? When you play football and it looks that easy, you think that you could probably just continue for years and years and years. And yeah, I just, I just loved how he always seemed to just enjoy the moment that he was playing in. And I think sometimes you sort of, can get caught up in the pressures of football and I think it's probably one of the most important messages for anyone playing football is to just always remember that you love the sport and like that's why you play. A lot of players over their time would have made a, a beeline for Manchester United, um, arguably the biggest club in the world. Uh, and, and a lot of Newcastle fans will hate me for saying that if they're watching this. But I think over the years, you've got to go on trophies and success and everything else. But all of a sudden, you find yourself... At Manchester United, um, how did that feel when they came looking and wanted to talk to you and then ultimately you ended up with a move? Well, interestingly, before I moved to Birmingham, I'd sort of had a little conversation with Casey and part of me now looks back at that conversation and was like, maybe I could have come a few years earlier because it's 
I think it's not until you're within the club that you realise just how big it is and how big it will be in the future. And I think, um, obviously, when they they came in for me in the summer, I was like, yes, no brainer. Um, and it's just obviously works even better the fact that Casey's the manager and she's done such a great job with the team. And I think she will bring so much success to the club in years to come. But the scary thing for me is just how big the club is going to grow um, and that, yeah, that I, I can see them becoming up there with the Chelsea's and Man United's in a not-too-distant future. It's, Sorry, it, the Man City's. <laughs> it's, I was going to ask you about the rivalry. Is it, is it as intense as, as the rivalry is with a men's game with Manchester City? Because you're two top teams. I think, as we speak right now, fourth place at the minute for, for Man United, So, but still everything to play for going into the last, last couple of games as... All right, I know. <laughs> as we speak, um, yeah. But obviously, the it 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 it's, it appears on the outside as intense as, as any other Manchester United Man City rivalry is. Yeah, definitely. I think um, when you're the new kids on the block, like Man United are, you kind of you've almost got a free hit, um, and I think that's probably one of the most dangerous things for those teams at the top is when you've got a team that's got no fear, no pressure, uh, and expectation to some extent but you're not expected to run away with it I think that's the most exciting to be a part of definitely um so in those games yeah I remember the one that we played in at home and we I think that we drew I had a chance actually to win that game and I was like it was a header I don't I don't score any headers so if it had fallen to my foot I would have backed myself but (laughs) I just had these visions of scoring it and I thought my god imagine if I'd have scored that goal like I think my Instagram and Twitter would have just blown up. But I think that just says the gravity of the game and how far it's grown, that people are so invested. I think, obviously, when you look at the first uh, time they played each other in the WSL, they played at the Etihad and had like 30,000 people there. So there's such an appetite for it. And obviously, with it being a derby, even more so. Um, I'm guessing you're counting down the days to when we can finally get crowds back so you can kind of sample that again because as a player you, you eat from that don't you you take a hunger from that 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 passion that comes from the stands irrespective of what's happening on the pitch 100% I think well when we played at Old Trafford the other week it, it was a really eerie atmosphere and I think when when those stands are all full and you've got people that are cheering you on or even booing you and like going for you I think um those are the moments in football that are the most exciting. Um, it's not quite the same when you go on an attack or a counter-attack and you've not got people in the crowd like cheering you on and stuff. So, um, yeah, like you say, I just I can't wait for that to come back. Even, even when you speak to people after the game, obviously that's the unique thing about the women's game is that people have got time for the fans and we make an effort to speak to them and even having those interactions have, have been missed. That first time you stood in the Old Trafford tunnel to walk out onto the pitch at Old Trafford, how did that feel knowing who'd gone before you, knowing some of the unbelievable... Ronaldinho would have walked down that tunnel at Old Trafford, your hero. Did that go through your mind or were you just so fully focused on the game that you didn't really have a chance to think about it? I think I really made a conscious effort to enjoy the experience as well as the game. Um, I obviously knew that the chances of us playing there rode on how well we played and the result that we got. But um, yeah, you just want to take those moments for what they are and, and 
the little kid inside me that loved football was giddy with excitement and just enjoying it. And then obviously, how can you not enjoy it when the pitch is just as beautiful as it was? And um, it was a great, it was just a great day all around, really. I'm glad you said the word giddy because that would have been me, right? And I challenge anybody who plays football not to say that they're getting a little bit giddy about something like, because if they say they're not giddy, they're telling lies. I don't think, I don't believe Exactly, them. no. <laughs> what about England? Because obviously you, you, you've represented England now at every level, um, but you were almost kept waiting, weren't you, for, the, for your senior bow. How difficult was it being so patient, knowing that, do you know what, I will get my time, I've just got to carry on doing what I'm doing? I think um, when I look back, I think that at times I'd almost written it off and I was sort of just happy to enjoy the game. I'd had some serious injuries, so just wanted to get back to a form that I felt um, would warrant uh, an England call-up. But it took so much hard work for me. Um, I, I always sort of like look back and maybe I'm too hard on myself in the moment, but obviously I, I got into the England squad playing for Sunderland, who... I, I don't really know where we were in the league, but I can't. I don't think it was very high up the league. So um, I was really proud of that achievement because it's not often that you see uh, players from low, lower down in the league um, getting selected for England. Um, but I think it was just obviously a matter of being as hardworking and as diligent as you could be. And I think that that obviously sets the international from the domestic players apart, I think those players know what it takes to sort of push to that level but once I got there my eyes opened even more because it's it's all right being there but then how do you stay there and how do you actually compete with the best in the world that was the real learning curve for me. I listened to an interview you did it must have been with MUTV at the time when you when you joined and there's there's no airs or graces about Lucy Staniforth and I really like that you know where you are and and you were talking about just joining the the club getting into the squad then getting into the team and then making your your, your place in the team consistent so you you're not a Billy big time in any way shape or form I'm going to go straight into this side is that always your mentality do you always come at something and thinking right I need to work my way into this I guess when you maybe come from where we all come from in the northeast where you know it's things aren't handed to you on a plate you have to work hard for it and I think um that's always sort of been my mentality is hard work is is number one and then everything else comes after that but I think I guess as you get older you, you realize that um yeah that that nothing worth having comes without hard work and I, I was very cautious about when I joined Man United um, not having too high expectations for myself from the beginning because they've got a great squad and they've got established players in the team. And I think um, it's been obviously a, a huge learning curve for me being part of the team. But I, I think you've always got to be a little bit humble. Um, sometimes I do wish I was a bit more arrogant because obviously I think that is also a trait that sets the best apart from the rest is having that self-confidence and belief. But not that I lack that, but I think that there's just a fine line between the the yeah the the elite mentality, and I think um, I just like to stay humble. When that call did come from England at senior level, uh, uh, how did that feel? Was it a text? Was it a call? Was it an email? How did how did it how did it work? It was actually a call, and I was sat with a really good friend of mine who'd actually helped me a lot. Physically, he he was the S and C coach at Sunderland at the time, but. 
he'd invested a lot of time away from Sunderland with me uh, into making me um, more capable physically, which is an area where I needed to improve. So we were both sat in the car and I was like, oh, Phil Neville's going to ring. Um, we were both just sat there sort of like giggling away and then obviously he called and it was it was a bit surreal to be honest I think um, my first few camps I was actually on standby and I kept getting called in and I, I just remember being like every single time the camp was I've just got to be ready to come in because this just keeps on happening um, and then obviously finally breaking into the squad it was it was a really nice feeling to know that you were worthy of being there and, and you're sort of looked upon as a as a good player amongst all the others that were there and that's again like your journey's been just work towards the next goal the next goal the next goal um what's the ultimate goal for lucy staniforth what is the big aspiration what are you hoping when you finish football you can look back on and say i got to that i would just love to win as much as i can with man united i think um the thought of of achieving here and winning is such an exciting feeling because I know uh, how much it would mean to the club and the fans but also myself to have achieved and I think it's probably the best place I can be to achieve I think uh, the club's grown so much that uh, if we don't win something soon it'll probably be a bit of a disappointment because we're 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 in and amongst it we're close obviously we were third for a well we were top at Christmas uh, of the WSL so it shows that we can compete and I think sort of wet all our appetites to really push on next season and um, try and win as much as we can. In terms of players you played with and, and come up against who's who's the best player you've played with considering you, you've played at the, the very top with England? Oh um, I probably it's hard to say because there's different types of players obviously you end up playing with I think Lucy Bronze, you have to mention her because um, of, uh, the thing I love about her is a winning mentality, the way she is relentless and um, pushing herself to be the best player that she can be. Um, but I also would have to say um, Farrah Williams, who's obviously just retired this week. She, um, I've never seen a player play with both feet the way that she does. Um, she's a fantastic servant of the women's game and I was lucky to play with her at Liverpool and then I would have to say one more which was Tobin Heath um, when she played when she joined uh, Manchester United although we didn't play together a lot uh, through injury and whatnot she's mind-blowing the way that she uh, plays the game and she's almost like a little bit of a throwback to people like Ronaldinho uh, because she just plays with flair and uh, passion and just really enjoys the game and that was really nice to see uh, a world cup winner and someone who's achieved so much just enjoy the small things in football would one of those three come into contention for the the toughest opponent the best player you've ever played against i'm trying to think to be honest a player that i play against well i have played against since i was 16 uh, who i would have to say is one of the toughest is kim little i think she's um, probably goes really underrated in the women's women's game because maybe she doesn't play how she did when she was 16, 17 and she was like this flair, number 10 uh, but she's just such a multifunctional midfielder now and it's really difficult to play against her so I'll probably have to say her. What about personally? What's the best goal you've ever scored? One that lives in your memory and you'll go over every now and again. Do you ever watch him back and go, oh, that was a good one? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, oh 
God. I've, I've, well, thankfully, quite a few of my goals have been good ones, but um, the one that first came to mind, I was playing in the Under-17s World Cup and we were playing in the quarterfinals against Japan who were the expected favourites. They were going to run away with it and we were. I think we were 1-0 down and just before half-time I picked the ball up in our own half and just steamrolled all the way through. I just had my head down and just ran with the ball um, and, yeah, tucked it away. And that was that was a pretty special one because I think because we were just su- such underdogs and I don't know where that came from out of me. Um, I don't think I've ever scored a goal like it in my life. So it was a, a bit of one of those, like, I'd just been possessed by, <laughs> by something. <laughs> but it was so cool. It was a great game and we ended up actually making it through, so... Um, would you lob be in there? Because I've seen that lob. That was that was a, a fairly decent effort. Yeah, it was a cheeky one. Um, I do I do like them goals. I I think to be honest, I should score more of them. But um, yeah, I do like that one. There's a couple I scored for Sunderland actually um, in the year that I was captain. Uh, one against Man City, which was in the FA Cup, and I just. Out, struck it out of nowhere and it flew top bins and I think that's the most satisfying thing is a football when you connect with it and it just goes like a rocket <laughs> and what's your most memorable moment in your career so far whether it be a, a a win or whatever something that will forever live in your memory and you'll cherish forever I think I would have to say at the World Cup when I uh, eventually made it onto the pitch against Cameroon I think it was and it was my brother's birthday, my older brother, I think he was 40. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. <laughs> but he, um, they come, they, they don't see a lot of my games, but they travelled over, they'd driven um, to the game because it was in France. And I remember looking up to the crowd after the game, and he was there with his family and my two nieces, and then my mum, my stepdad um, were all up there as well. And I, I, I had a photo from it because my little niece, I think she must have been like five or six at the time. She was doing this in the crowd like a love heart. Um, and I ended up doing it back to her and someone actually caught that photo. So I'd probably have to say that just because obviously it was on my brother's birthday. And yeah, it was just a lovely occasion. Oh, fantastic. So what next for for Lucy Staniforth? I mean, what's plug it away with Manchester United, the search for honours and then potentially England? Yeah, I mean... Bristol at the weekend, just yeah, gotta grind out those results and stay in contention for that Champions League space as close as we can. But I think um obviously in the future I would love, love, love to play for Newcastle United. I think that would be my ultimate dream. Um if they ever decide to push into the championship in the WSL, that would be um obviously to wear the shirt and then hopefully play at St James's Park. I don't know if I'm dreaming too big here, but I think that would be that would really finish off my career in in a way that I would be so proud of. Cool. Well, I just want to ask you a quick, obviously about Give to Local. Uh, you know all about us in terms of providing a platform for for uh, grassroots sports to raise funds, and I suppose knowing coming from your, your your real grassroots level with Blythe and everything else, you'll know how important that is. Of course, I think <clears throat> I was really fortunate to play for um, a good establishment of uh, that was Blythe. I think we wouldn't have been able to run without, um, you know, doing fundraising and, and getting as much money as we possibly could for better facilities, for opportunities. And I think um, 
by doing that, it gave me exposure to different um, styles of play. We, we visited Holland and stuff like that. So I know how important it is um, for clubs to fund and give people opportunities, especially in the northeast. I think it's uh, such a football mad place that um, for any young boys and girls playing football, the opportunity to, to play is so important and to be able to, to fund those experiences is, is mega. Spot on. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great to yeah, talk to you great. about all things football. Uh, I wish you every success for the rest of the season. Uh, and Thank I'm sure you. we'll be seeing a lot more of you in the future. Lucy, thanks very much. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on. Lucy Staniforth, Manchester United midfielder and England Lioness as well. I've got a funny feeling we're going to be seeing a little bit more of Lucy in the next few years, especially at international level. We'll keep our fingers crossed. We've got a winner to announce, uh, Kevin Roberts, a winner from our last podcast. He's from Oakley Diamonds FC. £500 to spend at kitlocker.com. Kevin, thanks for uh, listening and thanks for getting involved. And we've got another big competition on the way in our next podcast. We're going to keep that under wraps for now. We'll let you know when it's ready. In the meantime, thanks for watching, listening. Take care. I'll see you soon.